Shut up and sit down. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the budget-friendly solo or the 4K Tacticam 5.0, Tacticam has something for everybody. Um, we just got some of the wides in, so Frank and Ernie are going to be running uh, Tacticam 5.0 and a 5.0 wide on their elk hunt, as well as some um, vlog-style stuff with a main camera. John's going to be running a Tacticam 5.0 and 5.0 wide on his elk hunt. And then I'm going to be running one of the Tacticam 4.0s on my bow um, along with whatever other cameras I've got. But we're going to be covered up in Tacticams. Um, hopefully uh, we're going to get all the shots on camera and uh, we're going to put some elk down. We're getting real excited here on the final descent frank and ernie uh so when this comes out it'll be wednesday they're leaving at 5 a.m on saturday so um they're headed out there they're going to be elk hunting by the time next week's episode drops and uh it's it's really coming up quickly so um also next week um Basemap's got some big news. There's uh, some new things coming from Basemap, and we'll get into those um, uh, in the intro for the next episode. Uh, but you can always go and check out Basemap's free version um, with all the layers and, uh, all, you know, just uh, definitely, a, I guess, what we feel is a better way to uh, to navigate um, especially with this elk scouting and elk hunting, it's it's been great to be able to look at the different layers and um, download all those to the phones. And you can use uh, code Chronicles when you go online. You've got to go online in your computer, and you can get 20% off. So it ends up being $24 for the entire year. And uh, like I said, they've got some really cool functionality coming in the next week or so. So um, definitely check out Basemap and uh, look at that this week's podcast we actually have um kevin and alex from latitudes um, latitude outdoors is a new company michigan company um that's putting out uh, a couple of saddles um they've got a two panel saddle um the method and then they have a classic just you know exactly what you would think of when you think of a saddle um they got a couple different options a buckleless um option that has no metal um, i think they have that for both of the their saddles and um it's really cool it, it's good to be able to sit down with these guys they came over and uh with some of the patreons they could hang out and literally hang out and check out the saddles and i had all the saddles that we have as well so um they got a chance to sit in you know trophy lines um the new phantom and then the method saddle so um and and the the classic so all the latitude you know they brought all their stuff and it was a a good time we you know thanks everybody that came out and checked that out we really appreciate that um i think you guys are really going to like this one i know we've been kind of saddle heavy uh, and i addressed that a little bit in the podcast but um you know as everybody's getting ready for the season um like i said sometimes we're in an echo chamber and we see this stuff and we think that's what everybody's talking about so if you've got any ideas or anything that you want to hear more about um through the podcast um definitely reach out to us let us know if you're interested in, in getting you know 
early information about the podcast or uh, any of the things that we're doing, um, definitely check out our Patreon page, um, patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Um, we do some things uh, through there. Um, I guess we're not supposed to be doing giveaways through Patreon, but um, I guess anybody can win, but it helps if you're a Patreon wink wink um we're giving away a set of uh b sticks i will be giving away a set of hawk heliums to uh, just any listener um so i think what we're gonna do is uh have you go uh, i'll put a post out probably september 1st let it go through the end of the quarter and we'll do that with the rest of the the giveaways but um what i'm gonna do is uh, give that away to someone who subscribed to our YouTube channel. Um, so this episode, we actually had him in studio, so we did video that one. That's going to be up on our YouTube channel. So if you go over there and just click the subscribe button, but you'll be able to see what they're explaining about the saddle and everything like that. And so if you're interested in helping out the podcast through Patreon, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. But if not, no big deal. Um, just tell somebody about the podcast or go down wherever you're listening right now, click that five star or leave us a review. You know, we get thousands and thousands of downloads. We still don't have a hundred reviews. So those reviews help us uh, move us up in the ranks with Apple and, uh, you know, some of the other uh, search engines so that it shows up to other um, people who are looking for a hunting podcast. So that really helps us out. Um, but, you know, if not, just tell somebody about the podcast. But this one I think you guys are going to like. There's not a lot of information out there uh, about these Latitude Saddles. And uh, since they were right here in Michigan, um, they came over, made the drive, and sat down with us. So enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunter Chronicles podcast. We're sitting here in the studio John and I, uh, with Alex and Kevin from Latitudes, uh, Frank and Ernie are literally sitting in the peanut gallery, but, um, before we get into the podcast, um, uh, so I posted a picture not long ago, actually I made a meme of this, uh, Jeep with an arrow in the hood and, uh, we needed some clarification on that. I mean, people were calling me out saying that it was Photoshopped and I mean, th- there was a guy who went so far as to break down exactly how it was photoshopped and all the reasons why it couldn't possibly be real and um, you know we had a lot of our listeners and patreons you know say we need to have some sort of a, a clarification of what exactly happened and you know john ditched me he went on vacation he said i got a you know happy wife happy life i'm out of here i'm taking my jeep and i'm heading north and we got them back now, so now you have a chance to tell the story and, and kind of defend yourself. Well, I wish it was photoshopped. Let me just put the put it that, <laughs> but it wasn't. Um, it was right after I got my new PSE bow. I had it all set up, but there was a couple little things. I'd been shooting it the night before. I was out at the end of the driveway. It was like 105 yards, and I was hitting the bag cons- consistently and stuff, but I was still seeing like a little bit of a kick. So the next morning I got up, went out with the dogs. It was like six in the morning. My wife took off to work. Kids were still in bed. Came back in the house, put the dogs in. And I was like, you know, I see the bow hanging there. I'm like, oh, maybe 
I should try the full metal jacket with a 125 grain head and the brass insert and all that bare shaft. But I didn't have, I had been working on another project. So normally I shoot with my target on top of the garbage can. But it's normally off to the side. Well, all that stuff was out. So the, the table I had set up, I was working on, I'm like, well, I just threw my block on top of that. Threw the, uh, my paper tuning rack up, grabbed the bow, stood back. I drew back. And soon as I drew back and went to center my peep, I looked and I could see that I'm like, oh shit, my sight's still at 105. Well, I'm like, oh, I'll just aim, you know, accordingly. Ah, famous last words. Yeah. yeah. And I'm pulling through, pulling through, and all of a sudden, and it, there was no sound of hitting the, the block target. It was just paper and tin. Like, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, my Jeep is parked right outside the garage door. And so oh. I went running out. And what is this Jeep? Is it just like my old 97 Wrangler? No, it's my brand new Jeep I just got last year. <laughs> it only has, at the point at that point, only had 7,000 miles on it. So, oh. <clears throat> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I went running out. And sure enough, I look over and there's the unicorn Jeep. The full metal <laughs> jacket sticking right out of the hood. And I bent over and just about puked. At that point. <laughs> oh, jeez. So I got over there, and then I I was telling the story. I pulled the arrow out of the hood, and I spiked it on the ground, and it went flying by my face, practically put my eye out. And then I'm, like, trying to swat it out of the air so it don't bounce on the top of the Jeep. So. <laughs> but, so, yeah, if I would have had the – I might still have the footage on the security cameras of that. I mean, it would be pretty good. <laughs> TikTok, probably. But so, yeah, it was not photoshopped. R- shortly after that, my wife called and I was doing my best to, you know, not act, act <laughs> like there was something wrong Nothing going on here. But yeah, like exactly. 10 minutes later, she calls me back again. She's like, What's going on? Because you don't sound right. <laughs> like, Well, I just shot a hole through the Jeep. <laughs> She's like, What? What about the garage door? Like, yeah, it went right through the garage door. I said, that's not a big deal. I can fix that, no problem. But so yeah. Luckily though, it, it I if I were to try to do it, I probably couldn't have hit it in the most perfect spot. In a in a more perfect spot than I did. It was like right on the crease of the hood, went right through, you know, at least it's aluminum, and then that arrow being as heavy and you know, stout as it was, it just perfect bowl hole right through but it hit the, the hood <laughs> latch perfect tuning. and uh yeah that was a perfect perfect bullet hole through the garage door i mean there was no terror <laughs> at all <laughs> uh, but so yeah it's uh that was quite a while ago I mean, it took quite a yeah, while so the, so the picture was staged like that wasn't the yes arrow. well that was that, that was the the arrow that was in it yes that was a staged arrow it was one of my old uh toll archery challenge arrows that I broke and it had like the red white and blue fletchings and the red wrap so I was like well it was my clown badge of honor you know I'm always talking about <laughs> you know these clowns and I'm, you're going to be wearing the clown nose after that well I got the king of the clowns after that <laughs> so yeah it, 
it was on it for a few days, you know, inside family. But uh, so now it's got a nice little bug guard on it. <laughs> Which looks like, great. Right. Looks great. I might have to sell one of my bows to get a new hood, you know. <laughs> I did want one of the Rubicon uh, vented hoods, but. So, like I said, so, I, I just wanted to clarify that because, you know, we got a lot of heat from it. And John was gone. He didn't get a chance to, to you know, defend himself or, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that you're like, I did two shoot through my hood. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just going to drill a hole in my brand new hood and put an arrow in it and say, yeah, I shot it. Yeah, I mean, you know, but like I said, I just wanted to do that. So, But, yeah, so in the studio tonight, we've got uh, Alex and Kevin, uh, two-thirds, I guess, of, of Latitudes. Um, and they, if you haven't heard of them, they're a, a saddle company out of Michigan. And uh, we're going to dive into that. But, um, you know, as we always do, I want to get a little bit of background on, you know, who we're talking to, um, you know, their style of hunting and, and kind of everything. So, you know, if you guys want to give us some introductions and, and kind of dive into that, we can, we can proceed. Sounds great. Start. Let me start. Sure, sure. Uh, so I'm Alex Chop. Uh, I am uh, part of Latitude Outdoors, obviously. Um, one of the guys that Kevin came to when he had this crazy idea for this modern two-piece saddle. Um, I grew up in Grand Rapids, Michigan, just like uh, Jake and Kev, uh, Forestal Central High School, then went on to um, University of Michigan, and that's where I actually met Kevin. Um, hunting wise, I uh, started, I guess, the learning process with my dad when I was really young, you know, six, seven years old. He took me to the UP. He refused to hunt in the Lower Peninsula just because I think he liked to make it as hard as possible on himself. I'm not really sure why. He never shot a deer. Um, but anyway, so I always went up there. That's where I learned to, you know, he taught me all reading sign and I'd help him set up stands. And that's really where I caught the bug, so to speak. Um, now I, you know, since then I started hunting and I shot my first deer with a shotgun and then immediately moved to the bow and I've been religiously bow hunting ever since. Um, never had any private land to hunt. Um, unfortunately I would love to have some, I have nothing against private land, uh, but I've always been battling it out on public and it's taught me a lot. Um, and so I've hunted probably, I don't know, 80% of the public property in michigan i i'm an explorer that's that's part of the reason i i love uh <laughs> i i love new spots i i do and so uh yeah so i really enjoy it um you know in terms of uh managing a, a job you know i have a full-time job too along with latitude outdoors so i uh a lot of my hunting is done in the rut when i take time off and when my odds are the best um, as with most of us with full-time jobs. Um, so that's where I focus most of my energy is, is on those rut spots. Um, so. Sure. So uh, Kevin Leach, uh, co-founder of Latitude Outdoors uh, with Alex here. Our third partner, Jake Mattel, couldn't be here tonight. Uh, as Alex mentioned, we are all still working day jobs right now. So it's very, very busy just ahead of hunting season like we like it. Um, but uh, born and raised in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, I live here now as well. I don't know if Alex mentioned, but him and Jake are on the east side of the state, so we cover a pretty wide net uh, across the state of Michigan. Um, 
you know, went to uh, Catholic Central High School right here in town, went on to U of M. That's really where we all met. Uh, Jake's actually kind of the glue with uh, in terms of how Alex and I met. His dad was my surgeon. I have an athletic background. I played football at U of M um, and all through high school. So as far as hunting is concerned, um, I grew up around it. My dad's been bow hunting in, in Michigan, primarily in public land for over 50 years. He's got some really interesting stories about walking through culvert drain pipes and shooting things with his recurve back in the day. But grew up around it, um, did kind of more, you know, shooting at squirrels and things when I was younger. Then there's kind of a gap from a hunting standpoint for me. Um, you know, I mentioned the athletics. I took up a lot of time. Uh, we're both very uh, passionate uh, fishermen as well. So did a little bit more of that. That's just more accessible um, in terms of when you got a small gap uh, or window of time and you don't have a bunch of private land to hunt on because I didn't grow up with that either. Um, really dove back into the deer hunting thing hard after college. Um, we can get into, you know, in terms of how Latitude Outdoors got started, but I think I hunted out of a tree stand seven times, shot my first year on that seventh hunt, and spent six hours dragging it out of a swamp uh, with a tree stand on my back. So uh, I wasn't too happy with that afterwards, and uh, the tree stand, you know, went in the garage afterwards and, and started using these things. So, um, yeah, that's my background. Well, so talking about that Latitude Outdoors uh, thing, it, like how did it get started, but – you know, right now it saddles, um, I, I guess, and everything, I guess all of the companies and many of the companies that we've talked to more recently have the outdoors moniker where, you know, John would be the best uh, to kind of weigh in on this. But, you know, we we started this thing and he, he wanted it to be like all encompassing. And so the, the hard part is with, you know, everybody and their brother out there is such and such outdoors, you know, it's, it's, that's the, that's the catchphrase, the catch all the, the terminology that's used. And so John is much, I, I wouldn't say that I despise fishing, but it's not <laughs> like on my like list of 10 favorite things to do. I can tell you that. And where John, it's probably... It may it, it might be like tuning bows and then fishing and then bow hunting. Like I don't know. Well, like like you're saying, it's more accessible. I mean, when you yeah. When I mean, I have four kids now. My my youngest will be 17. So there's been there was a lot of years where I couldn't just go and be in the woods when I have four kids and sports and school and you know just be gone. Where fishing could always just slip out, and my daughters would love to go out fishing and take a nap in the boats. You know. Sure. You know, they'd come out with me hunting too. I remember, you know, going out scouting with them on my back, but you're just not, you're not going to go sit in a tree stand for three, four hours with, you know, a little one. Yeah. Where if you go out in a boat, you know, they might take a nap or they can. You know, well, hell, talk when, and, when the last time I went walleye fishing with them, you caught more fish out of Frank's boat here than we did in Augray. <laughs> and Elena, you're. Yeah third daughter was sleeping in the boat and, yeah and jet was yeah. my son and it was me my son and then my youngest daughter and she fell asleep and jet hooks a fish and he's like he flings it in the boat and it's bouncing off his sister's head while she's trying to take a nap <laughs> you know and it was all it's still a big funny joke but yeah you know so yeah that's what i was kind of hoping for where it'd be you know like an outdoors thing but 
They said, Adam, he, uh, you don't really care for fishing. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't have anything against fishing, like, at this point. But, I mean, I guess, like, you know, for you guys, you know, like, if you want to try to, like, jump into a space, right? Like, you know, it's uh, to some degree, it's like search engine op- optimization. Like, everybody's outdoors. Like, if you want to be like, okay, so, like, bow hunting, bow hunter, you know, at that time, there wasn't that much stuff like at this point i feel like we could talk fishing or whatever like we've got enough people and i would say that the people that are involved in bow hunting are also involved in fishing save myself um (laughs) you know that that it's not that far-fetched of a of a thing but you you know so back to the original question as far as like latitude outdoors and the vision and who are you like what is it as a company uh, outside of just being like are you guys like we're just saddled to the core and that's it with the outdoors moniker, it kind of, you know, leads into many other things. Maybe suggest something else. I mean, I would say right now we are saddles of the core. Um, I think it's important uh, in starting any venture that, you know, you make sure you're an expert in whatever it is you're starting with, right? I mean, if someone's going to spend their hard-earned money on a premium type of product like a hunting saddle, you better make sure that, you know, you've dotted all your I's, crossed all your T's, you know, you've done everything from a development standpoint, you understand the thing backwards and forwards um, as well as sort of the marketplace and what the customer is looking for. So certainly you have to start somewhere, but we also want to pigeonhole ourselves into just one thing longer term because we do have a variety of interests. I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah. I mean, I think the main goal for this project is to be able to merge our, our passions with our careers. I mean, <clears throat> that's me for sure is I, I just, I can, Work isn't work if it's your passion. And, uh, I mean, I can work all day on these, these saddles, no problem. And uh, I think that all of us kind of share that goal and that desire to, you know, do something we're passionate about. But, look, you got to pay your bills, right? Um, so Latitude Outdoors, we're, we're very, very passionate bow hunters, but we have some other passions too. And, um, you know, that's part of business is being able to adapt and, um, I guess change with whatever environment you're in. I mean, we when we picked the name Latitude Outdoors, we didn't know that this, we're like, we're going to give it a shot, right? And so now, you know, this is obviously, um, and, and always has been a focus for us, but we wanted to, kind of like Kev said, you never know. I mean, we might have other products besides just saddles, you know, but they are going to be hunting related and we're going to be a hunting company, you know, that's our focus. So, and so, so for this podcast, it's very um, interesting. You know, it's it's awesome that these guys were able to make the trip. You know, I mean, Kevin's relatively close. Alex is across the state, uh, but to come here and hang out, and then for you know the people, like basically for our patrons, like I put it out there. Like I said, if anybody's in the area and they want to come and and you know check out, like because we'll get into it a little bit further. But for saddles, you can't just say. Like that's the, you can't go to a store and try one on. You can't, I mean, we've said that for, for the longest time. And, you know, so we just put it out there and said, Hey, you know, any of our patrons that are in the area want to check out saddle hunting, like whatever. And, uh, you know, so we cooked out and, you know, we, we kind of planned on, yeah, Frank's over here saying I cooked out, you know, I I was delicious by the way. Thank you. (laughs) But, you know, so I said, you know, we're going to have food. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, do everything we can 
and uh, had you know a lot of people show up and kind of hung out. And uh, this podcast is an hour later than we were going. John's going like, God damn, I got to get to bed. You know, like <laughs> you know, things things are happening. I was uh, I'm missing a, a meeting with my hunting partner in, Mon- in Montana, so I had but, to postpone it. <laughs> but for this, uh, for the passion part of it, it was it wasn't that we didn't have time or we weren't going to be able to do it. It was like. I couldn't pull you guys away from the guys that were here just 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 talking and I mean like I said that's that's kind of like why this whole podcast started is because this is kind of like what we love and what happens um organically when you bring people together that have the same you know views and everything else so you know we really appreciate you guys like making the trip over here now as far as the saddles go it's a hard and i gotta apologize first of all to like our listeners because i feel like this has become the bow hunter chronicles goddamn saddle hunting podcast because (laughs) like it's just one of those deals where it's one of those things that's incredibly relevant and so people have questions and you know our job as a podcast is like to answer the questions of the listeners. And so to some people, they want to know how to kill big deer. And we're going to ask Alex how to do that because, you know, he's <laughs> got to be the guy. Um, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that with this equipment, there's so much going on right now in, you know, it's obviously taken off because of, you know, uh, tethered and their extreme marketing and, you know, and they're awesome guys. I mean, we we're the problem is is that we're friends with everybody in the the saddle hunting industry. It would seem like, and it's hard to be like, well, we can't talk about this or we can't talk about that. But everybody that we talk to are people that we want to talk to, and they just happen to saddle hunt or whatever at this point. So, um, what is your guys's history with saddle hunting? Because it'd be very easy to say, all right, we're smart guys we have engineering ability these things aren't that freaking complicated people are making them out of paracord now i wouldn't recommend that but (laughs) definitely i've seen i've seen them um but aside from saying this is a business opportunity um what's your history with saddle hunting and then what is the basis for the products that you guys have right now well, as I mentioned, I mean, I uh, when I started, so I've been saddle hunting for a little over five years now. Um, as I mentioned, it took me seven hunts with a tree stand to realize that a saddle was a better option for my style most of the time. And, and I didn't really get into my style, but it's it's public land like Alex. And it's, you know, I, I try to use my youth, I guess, to be the guy that can go deeper and further in a lot of situations and really nasty swamps. In Michigan, we have a lot of them. Um, you know, I, I hunted out of an Anderson sling originally, um, mentioned my dad has grown up doing this for a long, long time. He had an old Anderson sling that he took out of the package one time and he got for $35 at Meyer. Right. So you can kind of see how that was the basis for what ultimately became this method saddle, really that two piece design and, and the flexibility that gives that, that gives you, um, you know, obviously, after a couple of years of doing that, things like the Saddle Hunter Forum sprung up and started to get popular. Tethered came out. There's some existing brands like Arrow Hunter. Um, I started to try those, you know, more commercial saddles uh, that were coming out. And I just felt like there were some gaps in what I was 
one, what I was used to, but also what I was looking for. Because what I was used to also wasn't optimized. And I'm, I'm one of the engineers on the team. I'm the guy that's always trying to op- optimize things and tinker, always changing my equipment, looking for something that's a little bit better uh, year over year. Um, you know, so I would say that, you know, this starting this and developing these designs was grounded in that looking for something better in really tough hunting situations. Obviously, everyone knows Michigan has a lot of bow hunters, a lot of pressure, but really getting in deep. Uh, most of the time when I hunt, I'm nothing less than hip waders on the way in, right? So being able to do that, pack in and out, hunt any tree, any time, all the benefits that people are used to hearing about with saddles is applicable. But I was looking for something that really minimized bulk on the way in, but I could sit in it all day when I got there. Um, and I just was not finding both of those and what was out in the market. So I started building exactly that or, or something that ultimately what we feel like became that. And at the time, I was I was actually traveling um, every week for work uh, to a, a city in northern Michigan called Midland. And I literally started buying seatbelt webbing and bringing it with me on these trips and pinning and sewing things together in a hotel room. That, that's really how this started. Um, and I'd pull a rope in the front and I'd see how it kind of sat on my body. And then I'd get kind of the concept of my next prototype, put together in a hotel room, bring it home when I came home for the weekend, sit it in a tree, and then I'd modify it. Did that for, oh gosh, I'd say, I mentioned it to you guys, but maybe about three, four months. I and, thought it was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> these guys hadn't saddle hunted at the time. Um, you know, I think you were a preset uh, stand guy primarily, right? Yeah, I mean, I had messed around. A similar story, my dad had an old Anderson sling. I messed around with it a little bit, but look, the craze back then was like your lone wolf uh, tree stand. So I moved to that, and then uh, I got sick of carrying that around. So I started buying junk stands, and I would just, I had my system down. I would preset my stands. Um, and I did that for years and I had it all dialed in as much as I ever get dialed in. I'm not a gear junkie, honestly, but, um, and then Kev, he started buying all these saddles. One thing he does, he buys and sells stuff. Like it's, it's crazy. Um, I don't know anybody like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's just amazing to me. They, I, and so he started buying these, he'd buy a saddle, I'd try it, give it back to him and it'd be sold. Like, okay, well, that one didn't work for Kev, I guess. And he get we went through that whole process. I don't know how many of the saddles we tried, basically all of them. But, um, and then obviously Kev bought a sewing machine and he was just sewing saddles and giving them to us. He's like, okay, we're going to hunt out of these now. And, um, and it's when, when it, it finally became a real thing. And then we started to develop the, the final product. So. So, so what's interesting to me is, um, like the way that I found out about your company, right? And I don't know if I was already following, I think, I don't think I was following you guys on Instagram or uh, Facebook or anything like that. And I had bought a, you know, so, um, the uh, Austin that does, uh, Genesis 3d printing and that's gone like explosive um right now and we got to get him in here i told him that when i met him but so i ordered a couple of the tenders from him and not because i necessarily wanted to see a tender um because i had tried one from the um double step or eastern woods outdoors uh from dano and 
it didn't really work for me. I had a Ropeman, but I was trying to figure out like how it worked versus, you know, the Ropeman and, you know, to basically to give information. And uh, I saw that he was in Ravana, which is just, you know, a hop, skip and a jump from here. And so I was, so I was like, oh, well, I'll buy some of those for you. And I started following him. And then I saw him like repost something that was like, oh, from Latitude Outdoors. And I was like, oh, what the hell? You know, so then I followed them and one thing led to another. And then after we got back from ATA, you know, I don't know who runs your Instagram, but somebody reached out to me and said, hey, we've got this prototype saddle. You know, we want you to check it out. So John and I drove to Grand Rapids, met up with Kevin, and he showed us like one of their prototypes of the method saddle. And we had our, um, you know, uh, input on it, like our critiques, like, I guess, since I always do the, the talking, John, what was your thoughts? Like when we sat in that saddle, I mean, yeah, there's a cricket in here. <laughs> That's me over here. Wants to be in podcast. <laughs> no, say that I was preoccupied yeah. with the cricket. No, I was saying like, so when we met up with Kevin over there to try out the, the was, prototype saddle. It was cold as fuck for one. And I only had a thin coat on, so I was freezing. Like, do you remember you shaking a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I remember being, it had, you had the carabiners on the bridge, was the bridge, and you had it connected with carabiners. It was super, super comfortable, but that was just one of the things that was like, I try to get rid of the carabiners every chance I get. I usually do the girth, girth hitch on one side, you know, with my uh, lineman, and so that was one of the issues, but besides that, it was, I mean, being two-piece, you know. We're used to, I'm, I mean, I've only been saddle hunting for a year, so, I mean, I'm not the, not the best input on this, you know, for this conversation, but just being my, with my experience, you know, I started hunting on the trophy hunt and that one, you know, is completely, completely different. I mean, it works great, but it was just, you know, it's big and bulky when you're talking about going in. And trying to get rid of some of the bulk when you're getting in deep, you know, you're definitely not wearing a trophy line in, you know, in the mud and stuff because it's going to be covered so it hangs down so long and stuff. But, but that was definitely comfortable when we sat in it. And now, you know, I didn't get a chance tonight with all the stuff that was going on. I didn't get a chance to get back in it. But I see that you've definitely uh, addressed some of those issues. And so for myself, like, what was interesting is the the conversations that we were having and I don't, I mean I'm sure that it doesn't really matter at this point but it was you know you guys were kind of curious as to this setup and it makes more sense now from you guys both having experience with the Anderson Treesling and then that was what John Eberhart you know that was his bread and butter and basically still is and he that you know tethered had a new uh products coming out and you know from the phantom was what it was but you know with eberhart's you wanted to know like how you know similar was it to this because he hunted out of anderson treesling that's where you guys kind of you know cut your teeth or you know your first experience with saddles and um you know so sitting in that one from where it was to what it is right now and i mean john's got one right in front of him we got we're videoing this for youtube so you can check out the video podcast and we'll have 
Kevin and Alex kind of go through the, the two different models. Um, but, you know, they've got it so that there's no metal uh, at all, or at least an option of it that is no metal at all. And there's a couple features on it that are, are pretty, pretty slick. And the bulk on both of these saddles is like nothing. So I don't know if you want to talk about um, your saddles and kind of outline them and, and show it for the, for the video uh, portion of this. But uh, I, it's interesting to me because one uh, it's the method, correct? Is the, is the correct flagship saddle, right? Is a two piece. Um, that one has like, less bulk and it's a two piece it folds together but the other one which is the what's the name of that one the classic the classic classic um (laughs) so that one like when you're wearing that one it feels like you're not wearing anything like i it was interesting it was an interesting evening for me because I was just, I mean, literally there was a dozen different saddles laying on the ground and all sorts of ropes and all sorts of shit laying around because people, I mean, for real, like people want to know, like, what's the difference between this one and this one and this one? And you just can't go somewhere, generally speaking, and and see all that stuff. So I just put on a saddle, this one or that one, and I'd climb up and I'd stand and people would be asking questions and I'd be telling them and talking about, you know, I mean we can have an hour discussion on the different types of ropes um, that are there and the reasons why uh, this one versus this one versus this one and, you know, cost and price points and stuff like that. So I was throwing on a saddle and getting up there. And, you know, when I was in that classic, it was like, I I forgot I was wearing a saddle. I was just up there swinging around and I was standing around talking, wearing it. And there was like literally like nothing on. And, that was what was the most interesting to me. And so I've had that experience before, um, not to that degree, but, um, and you guys can speak to this is, but as soon as I put pouches and stuff on it, then it started to drag and weigh down and, and, and here and there. So, um, you know, if you guys can go through the, the differences between those and then we'll kind of break that down. I'll let you speak to it first because I'm the engineer and I'll overcomplicate it. I'll fill in the gaps after you. Yeah. Um, okay. So the the method, right? It's the oh, sorry. Uh, so this is the method, um, and this is our two piece design. It's honestly a modern Anderson sling, right? Um, and the the point of this, I guess, in my mind, and the reason that you know, when he came to me with this crazy prototype and I was like, that makes sense is because you can be really compact walking in, but you can still get that comfort in the tree. The only other way to really achieve that comfort with a single piece saddle is you have to have a big one, right? Because you have certain pressure points in your hips and not going to give it an anatomy lesson, but there are really two main pressure points, right? It's the top of your femur bone and it's the top of your hips here. This is called the iliac crest. The goal of this, when Kev showed me this, that's immediately where my mind went, and that's how we developed this saddle. This is developed to take those pressure points off of those areas. So with a traditional single-piece saddle, the straps, and that's where you get all your pressure, actually fall right on those two pressure points. And that's something that was kind of a 
no brainer for us. And that's where we, I mean, we really ran with what Kev's concept was and just turned it into a modern product. But it made perfect sense in my head. And, uh, and that's what the method is today. And that's what drove that, that design. Yeah. And there, I mean, there's some other advantages to the two piece design too. You don't have a fixed size, like a single panel. Um, you know, I think anyone that's sad and, and, you know, kind of a modern day saddle, that's a single panel design. Um, you know, you generally have to wear it kind of low, like you're sagging when you're up in the tree, right? Kind of right below the waistline to make sure it's properly cupping your rear end. If you don't do that, it tends to want to ride up and, you know, um, other companies have tried to address that problem in different ways. Um, the challenge is because it's a fixed piece, once you move it down, you're sacrificing support in that lower back area. Um, you know, we all have athletic backgrounds on our team and that lower back support region is, is very important for us. And with the, with the two piece design, you don't lose that because you can move both the top piece and the bottom piece. You can put both right where they need to be for your body type and shape. And if you're doing a long sit, you can move them around and get them where they need to be to get comfortable. Um, you know, it, it, it really helps with posture in the tree in particular. You think about, you know, any, any like pro weightlifter or whatever the terminology is, or if you're doing squats and, you know, lots of heavy lifts and power lifting and, and that kind of thing, those guys are all wearing weight belts. They're doing that for a reason because they need support in that lower back region that helps them have proper posture. Uh, they're more comfortable, they're more safe. Uh, so, you know, if you're a guy that has back problems, this is probably something that's a little bit different that might help you out. Um, because when you do move that one piece design under your butt, and I'm not saying that's that's bad for everyone. There's a lot of people that prefer that and will continue to prefer that. That's why we offer both. But um, what was that? <laughs> it's podcasting 101. Podcasting 101. Uh, We've got some things. alarms going no, off over here. You turn that on silent. But um yeah, I mean, the, the core of what drove going to this this two-piece concept, and we didn't invent the two-piece concept. We just, I guess, souped it up, right? Um, Perfected it? Is that what you just said? I didn't say that. No, nope. <laughs> no. We're always chasing perfection, right? Never <laughs> achieving it. But uh, there's always something to aim for uh, on the horizon. But it, in that regard, it's it's really just, you know, the, the flexibility to dial in comfort for you personally. Um, you know, because these things, they should wear, like, I mean, jeans. Think how many different trims or styles of jeans are offered by a single company these days. Um, and it's a textile product. It's a clothing type of product. So it needs to wear uh, for you in multiple situations, whether that's hiking in, climbing, or hanging in a tree. So let's talk about materials because yeah. yours is a, a, a little bit different uh, materials uh, here, there, and, and everywhere. Um yeah, um, so we can run you through them. Uh, on the method, um, pretty standard. We use a seatbelt webbing. Uh, we use a little bit different size. Uh, it's a little more compact, and we can get away f- with that from a strength and safety standpoint because there are four straps. So a traditional single panel saddle obviously sort of has, um, basically makes an oval with the webbing, right? You have two straps coming off of each hip. Uh, with the two-piece design, you have four, so we actually slim that down a little bit to help with the weight savings, but there, it's actually stronger if you add up the four straps in the two-piece design. Um, you know, our mesh, uh, we went with a heavier-grade polyester mesh. When I say heavy weight-wise, there's not a big difference, but uh, when you get this in hand, 
it's a little stiffer, especially initially out of the package. So it helps hold the shape bet- better. Uh, that helps you know reduce fabric bunching. In particular, when you got a two-piece design, each of our pieces is a little bit smaller. And that's intentionally uh, designed that way. Uh, because you can actually distribute the weight and get the coverage you're looking for with less material to save weight. Um, but our mesh is a little heavier than what you're going to notice, um, you know, in, in things that are existing on the market. It's a polyester. It's going to last forever. It's very UV resistant. Um, so you don't have to worry about that, that fabric wearing out. Uh, one of the interesting things, um, in addition to that, from a material standpoint that we've done, is we've actually added additional rigidity to the design. And in the vertical direction, and here I go with my engineering terminology, but um, you'll notice, you'll notice if you're watching the video version of this, we basically have um, some vertical, um, I guess, lines in the structure of our saddle, which is a little bit unique. And what that is, is that's a very stiff type of webbing. It's similar to what's used in like a riggers belt or a scuba belt, um, guys. You know, this material is used in repelling harnesses. Um, but basically what that does is ensures that the saddle holds its shape at all times while you're wearing it, which is particularly important in the tree. Um, and I don't know what it is, but when I added that to the design, my initial you know thinking was I want to make sure the, the straps are going to stay where I want them to. But there's something about how the weight is distributed in that in that direction that just feels a little bit different. It feels a little bit more like a chair. I guess, or like a, a tree stand seat, something on, you know, like a lone wolf type of hang on. Um, and, uh, it, and to me, that adds a little bit more comfort as well. And this is something we didn't just think of, right? This is something that our field testers told us. They said, and this happens with all saddles, is you have material bunching anytime this gets under you. And this cut, people always talk about the cupping shape, right? The shape of the saddle, uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, preserving the integrity of that shape is extremely important to the comfort of this seat, so to speak. So these seem like a simple little thing, but Kev, I mean, it made a big difference when he added those and it was an immediate, like, we got to add those. So we added those on the classic as well. So, it, you know, this is something different that you just don't see in the other single panel saddles. So. And so do you guys have a patent on that, or do we need to do something for this? Oh, of uh, course. Podcast? Everything's patent. <laughs> oh, everything's yeah. patent. I'm just right. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, just, just to kind of wrap up on the material side, you know, the molly webbing that ultimately makes the, the Lyman loops, it's 4,000-pound webbing. It's it, it's pretty similar in terms of what you see on the market. Uh, the weakest material in the saddle structure itself is 4,000-pound. Um, on the metal-free version, you know, we have a waist belt made out of Oplux rope or Oplux rope, tomato, tomato there, and how you like to pronounce that. Obviously, that's become a very, very popular rope in the saddle hunting market for tethers and lineman belts, uh, you know, for its sheer reduction in bulk without sacrificing strength. It's almost a 6,000-pound minimum breaking strength rating. Uh, It's really lightweight, and we actually were able to use that and accomplish a waist belt out of it, and we can get more into that. Uh, so that we could create a saddle that has no metal on it at all. And you mentioned that earlier, Adam. But, um, you know, that that uh, that's actually all of our favorite model to use. Uh, you would think maybe just a piece of rope as a waist belt is not going to hold it up. It actually holds it up better. It actually cinches down tighter. And um, what we found, and this is, again, field testing feedback as well, are confirmed by that. Most guys are wearing some sort of a belt when they're hunting. And uh, 
a buckle over a buckle makes noise, isn't comfortable. There's just a lot of things that can go wrong or, or just, you know, not work out well. If you wear this rope belt, it sits right on top of your existing belt and that helps hold it up. You can cinch it tighter. Um, you know, it's climbing, it's a climbing rated knot. Um, you know, I don't, people, most people probably don't realize, but even if you've got a 4,000 pound rated buckle on 4,000 pound webbing, that's still your weakest link in terms of something that could fail because that buckle can, can cut that webbing ultimately. It still isn't going to happen for, you know, it's, it takes quite the fall to cause that to happen, but uh, that goes away with a rope belt. You know, so just from a safety standpoint, there's a small advantage there as well. So for uh, any normal people out there listening to this, yeah. um, <laughs> the the uh, the the rope belt, right? Everybody complains about your saddle sagging down. That's because uh, your uh, what are they called? Your sliders and on the buckles and stuff. As you move in gaps, it it uh, anytime you have a gap behind that, it slowly wiggles itself out. This knot will not do that, and so. We immediately wanted to add that as an option. So, and so uh, again, um, back to the materials. You're running an Oplux bridge, um, and then it has an Amsteel prusik on both sides, right? right? Correct. And so, what made you? How how did that come about? And is is there anybody else that's running an Oplux? I think maybe Arrow Hunter has like that as an option because they have options whether it's web or Amsteel or um, Oplux, right? Um, so how did you guys end up with the combination uh, with uh, Oplux bridge and then Amsteel process on the, the sides? You were the first one to suggest it and try it. So you want to answer first? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we needed we knew that we needed to add adjustability on the bridge, right? So that you can, um, I mean, the, the market just says that you need to have that as a feature. It's an obvious thing, right? Um, and that allows you to increase pressure from above or below. So we needed a way to do that, right? Um, you see Tethered and the Phantom has their comfort channels. Um, and so we had to sit down and be like, how are we going to accomplish this? Um, eventually, we kind of naturally ended up at this double Prusik knot style. Um, I think does H2... Do they do a double Prusik like this as well? Some similar ones out there with Amsteel, yeah. And then there, I think it's, I think it's H2, but somebody sells a kit for, for doing just that, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we would never claim that this is some revolutionary thing, right? This is just a solution that um, we needed to add. And obviously, uh, we added some stuffing in here. You actually have an, more op- Oplux in the, the bridge loop itself. And that allows this to actually cinch down so that it doesn't move on you. And it's actually even more beneficial because when you come off pressure, you aren't you, you never lose your position of your of your adjustment here. If that makes sense. Okay, to, so to that point, just real quick. I know Kevin wants to nerd out on us real quick, but I'm gonna want to kind of my face. Want to kind of temper that just a, just a hair. But by making that bridge loop uh compressible does that essentially allow for uh the same thing as a comfort channel so are you able to move that pressing up and down and then create that same thing be it maybe not so much in the moment as just one two but the flip side of that would be it's a hundred percent 
instead of having four options? Uh, yes. So our answer would be yes. It helps you accomplish sort of distributing that weight higher or lower in the saddle, uh, whether that's the single or the double panel versions. Um, I guess, so the bridge loops themselves, we stuffed them with the Oplex rope because a Prusik is designed to work on a, on a, a circular rope, right? And if you look at most bridge loops on saddles, they're flat, right? Um, and so what happens is once they tighten down, they're really hard to then adjust after you sat. This will tighten down and stay where it needs to be. But when you have to adjust it, you can actually adjust it much easier on the fly, right? So that would, I mean, that's the difference between comfort channels versus, you know, kind of this double Prusik option that exists out there. This helps kind of close that gap in terms of how quickly and easily you can do that because it doesn't kind of get stuck on a, on, like it would on a flat style bridge. So it really functions like a giant piece of rope at the end of the day. And also then, like you're saying, it stays when you take pressure off. Exactly. Like where I've had, I've got up in my phantom and the loops come out of the comfort channel. Sure. Slot. John, you don't have to be timid about it. It's what happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. I haven't, you know, I have my Phantom, but I haven't hunted. I've only spent, you know, a few hours. A few hours. You spent probably, I would, if I were to guess how much time John has spent in the Phantom, it is, it is more than 10 and less than 30. <laughs> um, and, I, I mean, that's it's serious. A amount of time. Because, like I said, when we were in the show, like, John's got back problems, you know, for him to just stand around for, you know, 12 hours a day, you know, it was better for him to just hang click up and hang on the yeah. in the saddle. And, I mean, that, however that translates to tree stand hunting, you know, for guys that have back problems, you know, I mean. Yeah, I, I don't know how many people come up to me, you know, and ask, well, I got a bad back, I'm like. Yeah, you're not telling me anything. I've had four back surgeries. You know, I, mean, I can't feel half my left leg. So to be able to to hunt all day or spend that amount of time in a in a tree, the saddle has definitely been a game changer for me. So and now with all these new options coming out, it's getting even better. Absolutely. And, and so for the new options coming out and all of that, uh, you know, you guys got it firsthand today uh for the new saddle hunter right there's so many options there's so much uh, information available albeit good bad skewed um so how would you say for them if if alex they don't have a kevin saying here you know, because it's yeah. a big investment, right? And, and and we talked about that a lot today with the guys that were here, uh, you know, prior to the podcast. You know, it's easy for 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 John to say that looks really stupid. Oh, let me try yours. Okay, get me one. <laughs> or Alex to say, "All right, Kevin, give me the next one." That this is what I don't like about it. Um, what, so what do you say to those new saddle hunters or where do you, uh, how do you direct them or, you know, what, what would be your advice from your standpoint 
going through this journey? I think that, um, well, one of the big things is to not let yourself get overwhelmed uh, because the amount of information on this stuff makes this seem like it's rocket science. And it's not. It's not that complicated. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. Yeah, I take I that do. to heart. <laughs> well, that's the next one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it, it's just, it's not that complicated. You just have to decide what you want. And really, you're deciding between two things. And this is something that we're trying to solve with the method. But uh, it, with all, there's all different options and, and they can all fill your needs. And you, but you just got to decide what you want. Do you want to be super comfortable in the tree and go with something that's larger, right? Has a, has a larger seat to it? Or do you want to go with something that's going to allow you to be more compact? And I think that, well, I know that for us, we're trying to create a, a hybrid option, right? And that's what the method is. Um, but with that being said, it's not going to be right for everybody. But um, I think choosing what you want in your saddle. What is the most important thing to you? Do you want to be super lightweight and super compact or do you want to be more comfortable in the tree? And that's going to narrow down your options right off the bat. And that's going to send you down a path. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. I would say you've got to look at your own personal style. I mean, you really need to save weight. Um, you know, you need to, are you a rut hunter? You sit all day, 10 days in a row. You know, what, what makes you successful as a hunter? And then do your research, pick a saddle that looks like it marries the best to your style, and then just dive in and try it. I mean, like like Alex said, I buy and sell stuff all the time. I still do that, right? Um, I've got different reasons maybe now for doing that, but, um, you know, right. And I would say do that now because you can sell a saddle pretty easily right now. Uh, it's, it's obviously growing very quickly in popularity, and there's more and more options every day, but you know, getting in and out of something just to try it. Um, it's pretty easy to, to, to sell a saddle if you've purchased it. Um, you know, you, you don't need to drop $600 on a saddle setup. You know, that's partly why we wanted to offer an option at a little bit lower price point than, than the method as well. Um, just dive in and find something, um, you know, that, that marries best with what makes you, you know, productive as a hunter. So. Or you can just call Adam and he'll send you a saddle. Yeah. One of those <laughs> personal too. ones. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Just take it. Try it. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, <laughs> so for our patrons, that's 100% true. Like my, uh, so I try to have uh, firsthand knowledge and, you know, to be able to speak on these things. And so my mantis has literally been to South Dakota, Louisiana. Uh, sorry, Brandon. I think it was maryland and it's in new york right now um i actually got a message today that it says that it's in new york but those were just the ones that i had of the saddles that i had i thought that would fit these guys and they're the ones that they had questions on so and i think it was more of a price point thing because with the phantom coming out the mantis was you know Tethered has the greatest marketing team known to man as far as saddle hunting is concerned. Um, and the Mantis is now their price point saddle. I mean, they've got a new one coming out. I don't know if you guys know about that. It's a menace. So, um, so that's going to undercut the, the Mantis as far as price point. But, you know, it folds up to nothing. So this is where, this is what guys know. This is what they're hearing. And this is 
those are the questions that they have. But yes, you're right. You know, if, if you know, for our patrons that are listening, if you want to know about a saddle, uh, as you the ones that were here today can attest to, like I got them all. So except for arrow hunters, like I don't have any um, experience with arrow hunters. So on that note, for you guys, what is your competition? as far as on the method and what does yours offer um, over that? I know the answer, but I'm, I want to hear from you. <laughs> uh, so from a strictly a price point uh, perspective, right? You're looking at the, the arrow hunter saddles and the phantom, right? Um, and then for the classic, you know, you've got H2 cruiser, Mantis. This is at priced at one eighty five right now, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so price point. That's obviously uh, pretty black and white. Now, in terms of functionality, um, there's I guess the the new Eberhardt series saddle, which is going to be it's basically an Anderson sling, right? And um, if if that ever actually is released uh you know that's obviously going to be a competitor to this it's much more traditional in design so uh but with that being said um it's we, we said it earlier right we believe in the two-piece saddle so that's going to be one of our big competitors because we truly believe in that design and and its advantages um so i guess that's the simple answer to that um, well, but I mean, I guess isn't there? I don't know if it's still in production, but the so uh, why I was asking is because I've talked to multiple guys who have switched and had a lot of uh, interest in the Phantom for the ability uh, for the comfort aspect of it that are switching over from an Arrow Hunter Evolution. Um, because of all of the, for lack of a better term, fucking around, they got to do with all the pieces. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, we haven't tried an evolution, but, uh, we, I mean, when we saw, we obviously have seen that we're like, that looks pretty nice. I might like to sit in that, you know, um, but chair in the air. yeah, the, the problem with it, right. Is it lacks that simplicity in that, uh, minimalistic, uh, compact uh, fit when you're wearing it in because part of the you know one of the biggest challenges with hunting is your hike in right especially if you're hunting public land and you're trouncing through a swamp i mean you should see what kev walks through I, it's it's disturbing honestly um and so those are we believe in that two-piece design but it had to be optimized right there's some modern features that have to be used because it just makes sense um yeah, I would say, you know, we've, we've mentioned the Anderson Sling a few times, and there's no doubt that's been a comfortable option for a long, long, long time. Um, you know, in terms of making something that's two pieces, very, very, very user-friendly and simple to use, I think that's what's really uh, where we've tried to separate with what we've done with the Mantis. Um, if you got two pieces to manage, that sounds like more going on. Right. And we've tried to take a two piece saddle and make it as simple, if not simpler, in many aspects than just a one piece saddle. Right. 
um, you know, the two pieces, they hook together. How do they hook together? They hook together very, very easily with a set of Kydex clips, right? And there's a little loop they hook into. You can use do it with one hand in the dark. Um, that gets rid of, you know, the flopping around, managing different seatbelt straps. A lot of the things that the, you know, the older traditional designs have, we've just tried to make it um, as seamless as possible to use from the moment you leave your truck or your vehicle uh, to the moment you get back to it, right? And, you know, every part of that process is a little bit different and has a little bit different, I guess, design requirements, you know, speaking as an engineer. Um, and we tried to tackle each of those individually without sacrificing or causing too many trade-offs to the other, you know, aspects of your hunt. So I, I think it's really the, the, you know, comforts the core to the design, but making that really, really user-friendly with two pieces is uh, what makes this different to me. And John, uh, Alex told me earlier, and it's something that Kevin left out. I don't know if he designed the Kydex clips or what the deal is, but um, cause if he did, he, he definitely missed the boat on this one. Um, <laughs> that he said they double as, um, you can hang your sticks right off. Oh, of, no, that uh, was, that's the market guy. Okay. That's his idea. He, he I, doesn't, his idea. I, I give it to him. But uh, I'm just saying, <laughs> I mean, you know exactly the... why that would be beneficial. I mean, if you've got that already, you can just hang your sticks right off it as you're going up the tree. It's built right in as a functionality piece of it well i'd say you know alex tests us in the engineering department because um he's one of those guys that it's got to work perfectly out of the package he's not a tinkerer he's not a you know diy guy he doesn't tape his sticks i can't believe how much they clink when he shows them to me uh drives me in absolutely insane but the the good thing about that is that you know he drives simplicity and function into our design so if I give something to Alex, I, I got to know that he can use it easily and well, I guess. Uh, so he's a good measuring stick in that regard um, because I'm probably not the best measuring stick because I overthink things probably. Well, this happens with every organization, right? Like an engineer, is, it's like certain things are very easy in their head. Like yeah. this isn't cumbersome. This This isn't annoying. All I have to do is do this. Right. But for me, some of the things that – or simple to him for him <laughs> you give to me and i'm like dude i would never use that <laughs> like, like come I on <laughs> well i mean i i point at john you know here and i got i bought a set of wild edge steps i bought some primals i bought i mean you guys seen what was out there for climbing sticks as far as like i can i can break down climbing sticks Everything. like <laughs> one you know but i bought those I tried them a couple times. I tried them on pine trees and I, like it just wasn't working. And I was like, absolutely not. And then I give him, John's like, well, I, you know, yeah, I'm try those. And that's <laughs> yeah. what he used for his platform. And he's like, the yeah. knot is so easy. You just do this <laughs> yeah. like this. And you you do just, it in the dark. You can't it over. That's it. Sure, you know? why not? I'm like, right? No, I'm not. That's not, <laughs> that's not <laughs> yeah. what yeah. I'm doing. Yeah. So I think one of the, just to summarize, one of the things that that causes for for myself and our other partner Jake when we're we're building stuff for Alex to use is if we're going to add something, if we can make it per- perform more than one function, we're going to do that, and that's what we did with the clips, right? So they're there to hold the bottom piece, make sure you know this is as streamlined as possible, and nothing's going to blow up, uh, you know, kind of turn into a, a a mess on your way in, um, or even when it's just in your car, or your bag. 
But, um, you know, they're also going to carry your sticks to your platform. Uh, obviously, a lot of guys are already doing that by adding clips. So why not make it perform that function as well? Right. And, I mean, I guess that could be a breakdown between John, myself, and then Uncle Frank. is <laughs> like we, that's that level of how easy is it to use. Now, um, Uncle Frank would have, like, the kitchen sink strapped to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> underwear for the next week (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh i can't wait like we need to do like very soon another episode of our elk hunt because of the stuff that he's putting like in his pack i'm like are you serious and i feel like when i was going into it and like the amount of shit that we took the last time that we went and like the amount of things that we actually used i mean it's I'm like, are you sure you need both those sets of long underwear? And he's like, well, what happens if this? And I'm like, you are fucking crazy. That's <laughs> that's <laughs> funny because on my trip up north, just I just got back from my, the guy I was up there with. He's you know my hunting partner. You know from here heading out to Montana, and he is completely clueless. Like he went out and hunted Montana two years ago when when Adam and I were in Idaho. And he was, it was a, like, base camp hunt, you know, from a cushy trailer. Like, my buddy Eddie out there has one of those Logan freaking horse trailers that's like a freaking, I mean, the Taj Mahal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's got everything in there, slide outs. Like, it's not, it's glamping. But anyway, so that's what they hunted out of. And then they would just take, you know, day trips out. Sure. And so that sounds he's like, awesome. He's like, yeah. oh yeah, you know, he brought his case of Budweiser, and I'm like, yeah, this trip's not nothing like that, man. <laughs> <laughs> Are you gonna pack my beer in for me? I'm like, yeah, that's that's not even not even an option. But so uh, we were up there, and we did a the hike around 11 mile hike around the picture drops, and I wore my pack. With all my stuff in my jet boil, you know, not that I was going to need any of that, but it was weight, weight, you know, sure, bulk, everything, just getting used to it. And he was like, "Wear that." I'm like, yeah. Him and his wife had a little backpack, and they they took turns carrying. Oh, that. <laughs> I'm like, you're gonna have on, to put him on your back. Like, yeah, Come on, Mark. Well, then today we did the the dune hike with you know I had my heavy pack. I took the some of the stuff out. Sixty. No, I was right around 40 or whatever. Uh, yeah, I'm not doing 60 on the dunes. <laughs> no. 40 on the dunes sounds rough. And so he, we were walking up the first dune, and he was like, why are you wearing the pack? Like, well, why are you not wearing the pack? He's like, well, what's the difference? I'm like, never mind. Dude. <laughs> Put my pack on. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, we were out elk hunting, and you got, I'm like, if we're going in four miles with our camps on our back, you got to carry the shit. You're going to, and your muscles have to be used to it. I mean, you can't just throw a 40 pound pack on. Even, and that's very light for a four day hunt. 40 pounds, you're, I mean, you're talking ultra light. Water, freaking. Right. You know, He's two like, pounds of poop, food a day. Like. <laughs> even on our walk, the one hike, he was like, he's like, I'm going to quick drink all my water so I don't have to carry it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But, uh, anyway, we got off track. That's funny. So, uh, have you got anything else on these, uh, you know, packability, price point, 
uh, freaking. Uh, Does it come as a kit? Is there a starter kit? What's your, your like? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All <laughs> so, of the above. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So we just like just about everybody we sell them separately as just the saddle. So if you already have your ropes, um, you can buy just the saddle. But we have kits as well. Uh, that include the Lyman belt and the tether. Um, those are both Oplux um, with the Swabish hitch and the uh, black diamond carabiners. Um, the carabiners are, are sweet, and that's just a little detail, but um, they are really sweet. They're, they're tiny little things, and they weigh just about nothing. Um, you can, for, for anybody who doesn't know about the Swabish hitch, I mean, it's one-hand adjustable, which is why... Uh, you know, Jake and Kev went that route um, because we really designed this to take away the need for a rope man or a conch duck or a roll and lock. We sell the roll and locks. So, um, but really, you know, if somebody asked me what should they use with their ropes, I'd say, you, know, you got to just use the swap just because it's super simple uh, and super lightweight. Uh, it saves you some money too. Um, yeah, I mean, it, that's nothing new. It's just, I, I don't know if anyone is actually selling that in that configuration yet. There's a lot of guys DIYing that. Um, you know, so I think you mentioned earlier in the night, Adam, you can put the, put that on us to make sure that the knots are, are tied correctly yeah. when you buy it. But in terms of the kit, I think this is a really important point for us. Um, you know, when we discuss the kit, most kits out there come with pretty bulky ropes. Uh, and then you see a lot of upgrading to the Oplex eventually. And we wanted to just eliminate that and give you the best thing right out of the gate. In our so, opinion. so a couple things. So, yeah, what I said was, you can build <laughs> this kit for forty bucks, or you can buy it from them for sixty bucks. But if you die, like your wife can sue them uh, <laughs> versus like saying I told <laughs> you a, so. That's a better description. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I was going to show John is like I don't know if you paid attention though, but looking at this and the flexibility of this rope and. Uh, the length of their stitch, you can you can uh, girth hitch it without right. without it being. And so one of the things is like so like everything. Um, so trophy lines uh, ropes are stitched, and you cannot girth hitch them without getting into the sheath and the stitching. And tethers are buried and stitched and sheathed and unless you buy their tether you can't you can't do that so like when we gave away our phantom i bought two Tether. tethers so. and an extra carabiner because that's what i would want right and this comes and you guys don't sell two different ropes it's the same rope um, it just comes one with two carabiners, one without. So, Correct. I mean, I think that that's an important point because that's that's looking at the you the end user and how they're going to use it and what they're going to use it. And this Swabish hitch, like, does not. I mean, seriously, like, you can just move it back and forth. And I saw John like eyeballing it, saying like, "This ain't gonna hold me." Like, <laughs> I mean. For real, but it, it moves like super easy and it bites just as hard um, and it balls up to nothing. So I, I'm switching to Oplux this year. I was doing it anyways and I was going to do it myself. But I mean, the fact that they sell it just like this is like, this is what I'm going to be 
going with. Uh, sim- simply from the packability standpoint, I don't know how well it washes poison ivy off because that's a fucking bane of my existence. But that's going to be <laughs> I'm in the same boat. That, that's going to be that. But but the reason I was asking you that was because. I mean, we're getting ready to close this out. I got like one last thing that's like going to take about an hour and a half <laughs> or two hours. Um, Kevin, the safety on these. So when we're talking about um, new startups, saddle companies, you know, that are just jumping in to make a buck and they're sewing them in their garages and, and whatnot. So like when we talk about safety, what are you guys doing uh as far as safety and, you know, all the standard, lack of standard, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I can tell you these aren't being sewn in a basement. <laughs> That's an important point probably to start with. Um, I, I mean, we're all in on this company and these products. I mean, our names are on the line with these products. That's how we're approaching this. Uh, they're manufactured in Michigan on the east side of the state with a manufacturer um, that's been sewing textiles for over 20 years in multiple industries that are already held to really high standards, including the auto industry, um, which, you know, with seatbelts and such, they've been doing that for a long, long time. So we've already had a few comments on social media from from uh, customers getting their product, just, you know, the quality of the stitching and the product. Uh, we've been just as impressed as our customers. We've been working with this manufacturer for about a year and a half. Uh, we included them in the design process because, you know, we had some learnings along the way in terms of how these are manufactured at scale. Um, so they're not being sold in a basement. They're being sold under high quality control standards with a professional manufacturer here in the United States. I think that's an important point to make because we can pop in any day of the week um, and make a minor adjustment to where this stitching is located or what have you. There's been a lot of that on the front end. Uh, so in terms of maintaining a high quality product over the, you know, for everyone that's coming out the door, that's that's absolutely critical in our minds. And, and um, I think that's showing through with the product thus far to date. Uh, in terms of safety testing, you know, we've had them third party tested. Uh, I know that's always always a big question. Everyone out there thinks there's only one company that's done that. Um, we've done that in the same facility. There's obviously standards being worked on right now. They don't yet exist. Um, you know, I think that's a rat hole in itself, but, um, you know, your last podcast, one of your last couple podcasts with Jason Red from Timber Ninja, I, I think he really hit the nail on the head in terms of where that's at, where that's going. And he's obviously got a really uh, long history and, um, background in safety equipment and that industry, but this has been tested, um, you know, in a third party facility, it's not just been dropped out of a tree in our backyard being manufactured professionally. And, um, you know, we have confidence in the world and, and to maintain those standards. And uh, we check everything before it goes out the door. So I don't know if you want to add to that, Alex. Nope. Okay. <laughs> and so, I mean, I don't know. It, you mean, you, you obviously left it out for a reason, but you're in, you know, on the conversations with yep. creating the standard for saddles, correct? Correct. So it's not like... Because this standard doesn't exist, like we talked about with Jason, that you guys are saying we're not trying to, you know, we'll wait for the standard. You're being proactive in the in the thing. So how are you going about doing that? So exactly what Jason said, just because the standard doesn't exist doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing some testing, right? And I think the question goes back to what are you testing? Are you testing if it's going to fail? And are, if you are testing, if 
And when I say fail, I say a structural fail of the actual product product itself. And then what standard are you measuring against for that failure? In what circumstance? Is it a circumstance that matches exactly how the product is being used or should be used? Standards are only held, uh, are measured against a standard that's defined in terms of how the product is used and what might occur within that use. Um, so I think, again, back to Jason, he mentioned, you know, the difference between restraint and fault protection, right? Um, that's still being worked on. I agree with that statement. Um, and in terms of how we've tested this, we've tested this to see if it would fail um, the you know material or structural failure in a similar fashion to like a fall uh, five point harness or tree stand. Um, is that test relevant for a saddle in terms of how it's used? Likely not, but uh, that's still that's still up in the air. And why is it likely not? Um, you know, without going too far into the details, basically the human body starts to break at a certain point with in terms of how much force. Um, it receives, you know, given a, a specific type of fall and, um, you know, a, a, a standard for a different product will fail if those forces are exceeded beyond a certain point. The product itself might not break, but it can still fail the test. So you can kind of see it's a gray area right now um, in terms of how that's being defined. Um, so to us, we've tested to make sure it's not going to break if you did exhibit a fall or a fall occurred while you're in the tree. Um, <laughs> and so why is that such a, I mean, um, I guess, why did you pursue that to such a degree that doesn't exist? Uh, rephrase the question. So the standard doesn't exist. Yeah. Why are you guys pursuing um, something that doesn't exist? peace of mind right i mean if we're going to put people on a tree we, we're not we would never sell something to somebody that we're not 100 percent confident in and wouldn't hang in ourselves i mean that's just being a responsible human i think you know like we don't want to get sued you know um so that's one part of it the other part of it is um you know you're going to see certain uh marketing strategies come out here and it's going to be done in a way that's going to try to weed out some other companies and uh it obviously costs a significant amount of money to get your stuff tested blah 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 so you're going to see certain strategies from certain companies that are going to try and weed out those smaller companies and so in a way it's part of our strategy as well but the the number one main point is we don't want to sell you know we don't want to sell a device that's going to harm people i mean it's a this is a serious device we, we don't want anybody to get hurt. We want people to be happy with our products because this is what we want to do long term. If we get sued because we kill somebody, this is all over, right? I mean, we're kind of starting to live the dream here, you know, and we, we just we want to continue down that path. You really took it to the end of the line with that comment. <laughs> well, I'm just, <laughs> you know, it's pretty simple, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, this is a really serious product, guys. You're hanging up in the air. Uh, I guess if you're John Eberhardt, you're 40 feet up in the air. If, <laughs> I, I don't know where you hunt at, maybe 10 or 12. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it – Sticks I mean, are expensive. I'm just <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You're like, two or two this year, maybe three next year. We'll keep working our way up. But we talked to the materials. Those We were very selective in those for a reason. And then um, 
we wanted to prove out our selections and how, excuse me, and how they are put together. Um, just because you've got a 6,000 pound seatbelt webbing doesn't necessarily mean it's going to hold together during the fall. How is that constructed? So um, we're very tedious in all aspects, really of everything. I mean, we don't have Jake here, but three of us argue all the time. We're all, oh my goodness. Like to get to this point, um, there's just a lot of critiquing each other and critiquing what uh, we've, we've built and um every balance it's like the government yeah yeah basically basically the house and the senate i don't know who's who for us but uh um yeah yeah we just we're gonna put our name on it we're gonna make sure that every um you know stone has been turned over and there's no questions they answered all my questions oh one question i always ask He's got one goddamn question. Why didn't we point it up here? I didn't know we're at this point. Yeah, we're still talking. But the question I always ask our, you know, guests is, uh, "What's your bow setup?" Oh yeah, yeah. What are you? What are you shooting? Arrows, all that. So, whoever wants to go first. Uh, I guess I'll go first. I'm shooting the Matthews Traverse. I bought that last year uh, in the stone gray color. Love that. Um, You like all the trinkets, right? So we'll go through the trinkets. Just added the. uh, the Black Gold Pro Site this year, still getting that dialed in. Um, I didn't mention, but I, I I tore my right pectoral muscle in February, both ligaments that attach it to your shoulder. So I just started shooting again about a month ago. Um, I think I've lost my kisser button. I got a rotated peep. I'm trying new, <laughs> trying new stabilizers. I, I got like a 10-inch bar. This on the front and, avoid. and an eight inch bar in the back, and I I don't even have my twenty yard pin dialed in yet. So, <laughs> um, how how many days till season? Uh, you gotta get going. I, I, I yeah, that's that. That's what I'm shooting. Yeah, Frank's got two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know. I'm way 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 behind. I was gonna tinker with arrows this year. You know, snort some of the fairy dust, all of that. Not gonna happen. I don't think we're gonna we're gonna fling some arrows uh, that I shot last year, but. No, I like that set of plots. It's been a great shooting bow for me for the last year and a half, however long it's been. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Up until last year, I was using the same bow I got when I was 13 years old. It's the best <laughs> bow ever. It's killed a lot of deer. <laughs> it finally just, I mean, I couldn't draw without it falling off the uh, the um, the cam, so I don't know what happened to it, but uh, it, it had a problem. Um <laughs> So I, I finally upgraded, uh, and I got a, the Hoyt RX3 uh, right before the RX4 came out, of course. Um, and I just I got it because it's light, and I'm out of shape, weak, and uh, I just I like it because it's light. Um, arrows, I've used the same arrows. I, I don't think I've ever changed. I think every year I bring my arrow to the archery shop, and I tell them to give me this in the, and cut it, and just they just give it back. And I shoot Exodus broadheads, the little tiny fixed blade ones. So I'll just add, if you ever do meet us in person, whether it's at ATA this upcoming year, whatever it is, Alex is the resident killer on the team. I get him on camera. Jake gets him on camera. He doesn't get in the woods a lot the last couple of years, but he's the killer on the team. He's been doing it the longest. He's got, he's got a program, and he's got the bucks on the wall to show it, so... Ask him those type of questions. <laughs> well, you can you can talk to Uncle Frank about the wall of shame over there. Yeah, <laughs> see, like yeah, yeah. Uh, those ones just come running into Frank. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Alex has been a mentor for me. He's like I said, he's been doing it a lot longer than me. He kills a buck over a hundred inches every year on public land in Michigan. 
So um, I've learned a lot from him. I think he's learned a lot from me on the gear side, maybe. Hopefully, yeah, we're still so teaching him. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you can see he's got a bow. It works. That's kind of his answer, right? Yeah. So it's probably for a reason. And, and that's what I find interesting. And I, I mean, I think maybe Joe Rentmeister has been the only one to say, like, wait a minute, like, what? Because I, I feel like, and, and John, maybe you can speak to this, but like, we've been doing this long enough that we talk like bow setups, right? Mm-hmm. And the guys that like know all their bows like in and out, they change it every year. They might not be the killers, and the guy that has the bow that from like 1985, they shoot their bow. They, I mean, they shoot their deer at 15 yards, and they, you know, they have a setup that works. They stick with it, and they don't. They're like, ah, you know, I don't know what it is. Well, they never, they never have a problem, right? <laughs> you don't have a problem, you can't change. There's no reason to change. So, and you're the simplicity guy. So now, all right. So from that standpoint, just because we're talking about you're shooting arrows from when you were 13. Um, when do you pull your bow out of the case and start shooting it? That's what I was. Um, well, so <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now we're good. Here we go. I've uh, <laughs> I uh, this year I made a point to get it out, and it's it's uh, I need to do this better. I I think you should absolutely practice shooting your bow as much as possible. Um, and. So I've made a point to do that more. I've shot a lot more this year than I ever have in the past. Um, so, and I'm not proud to say that either, you know, but um, life is busy. So it's, I'm usually scrambling kind of like Kev right now. Uh, but this year, again, I made a point, probably part of the, the whole pandemic thing. I've had a little more time. Um, I also live in like this overcrowded neighborhood and outside of Detroit, Michigan. And it's just, I have nowhere to shoot. So now we set up this tiny slot. It's about two feet wide on the side of uh, Jake, our other partner's garage. And uh, so we're able to shoot up to 30 yards through that little shot. In the neighborhood. Uh, There's a house behind that fence. Yeah. Yeah. We had <laughs> Put a little extra. Up. We got some yoga mats. Is there a Jeep back there? Yeah. I, well, I was <laughs> wow. just thinking that. It, There's a garage. Yeah. <laughs> My arrows are light as hell, though. So they won't. Uh, <laughs> neighbors yeah, well, he's a speed shooter over here. <laughs> He's a speed shooter. <laughs> so where can people follow along with what you guys are doing? And if they want to check out, you know, the saddles or, or like whatever. Um, yeah. So we, we do our best uh, to do the whole social media thing. Um, you know, if you get an email from me, my title says CMO, but that's just not the most appropriate title. It's just the last <laughs> cool one left. Um, so uh, we do our best with getting the word out. Uh, I met a guy two weeks ago and he goes, I heard about you yesterday, and uh, your stuff looks really cool. And I'm thinking in my head, like, ah, that's terrible because <laughs> we've been spending money on like Facebook ads trying to do that stuff. And he's in Michigan, right up the road. And he's you missed yeah, that point. right in the yeah heart of anyway. Like a half that's away. a whole other story. But obviously, uh, <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, uh, we are more than happy to meet anybody who needs to sit in the saddle because we understand that. So we're trying to meet anybody uh, in person so they can try it. Um, we do have some units going into Jay's Sporting Goods, so you'll be able to try them there as well in Gaylord and Claire. Um, so we're hoping that helps some people, uh, you know, at least get the word out about us, but also try before can, you buy. Yeah, try before you buy. Um, so, uh, that's that. 
Yeah, and you can reach out to us anytime. Um, we have you know a link on the on the website, or we get a lot of messages through Facebook as well. We try to be as responsive as possible. We're answering a lot of questions while we're sitting on conference calls in our day job right now. So, but uh, we we also all work. I mean, I work in technology specifically right now. So if you want to do some sort of just a video call, if you don't live in Michigan, you want us to walk you through the stuff. Uh, there's actually a link on the website to send us a message to set up some time to do that as well. So again, we're trying to be as accessible as possible. Um, we're trying to get product out the door as quickly as possible right now. Um, we're very appreciative of everyone's patience in that regard. And um, yeah. what's the website? Website's latitudeoutdoors.com. That's okay. good point. We should mention that. Um, uh, yeah, so just the company name at, at, at .com and uh, search Latitude Outdoors on Facebook or Instagram. We're on there. Alex does most of that, those posts. And, uh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, guys. And, you know, again, thanks for taking the time and driving all the way over here and, and, and making the time for us because, you know, we're sitting in the pole barn here. You know, we drink a beer, carrying on, but it's not like a big, big oh, to Hey, we had a great time. No, thank you for thanks having for us. The food was amazing. Yeah. Very accommodating. Really appreciate it, guys. Happy to come hang out at the the barbecue anytime so yeah thanks again yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll look for the smoke on the horizon <laughs> awesome yep. all right thanks guys all right thanks Sit down.